tonight I, I'm going to preach on John chapter 2, and it's a story of weddings, of weddings. I can tell you this from personal experience. Every wedding that I've ever attended and every wedding I've ever conducted, there's been something that was not planned that occurred, okay? At my wedding, we put the bridesmaids' dresses in the back seat of my car, and I then went and picked up my future stepdaughter-to-be and took her around in the car and thought it would be really good to get some cherry snow cones with her and her friend who would be in the wedding, put them in the back seat with the bridesmaids' dresses. They got out of the car, had cherry on their lips, and Teresa said, where did, this, where did the red stain on the dresses come from? And uh, for, you don't put little girls in the back seat with wedding dresses and cherry snow cones. It's not a, it's not a good thing. It didn't go well. It didn't go well for me. It's hard to, it's hard to, to get that out. And uh, I also had a wedding once. I had a wedding once, and I've told this story before, where the bridesmaid, uh, she had grown up on a farm in another part of Kentucky, and she raised sheep. And all I can tell you is um, sheep don't always do what you want them to do. And the women in the wedding party were, had never handled livestock before, and it was a rather awkward moment, and we weren't really prepared for the earthly treasure that a sheep could leave in the midst of a worship service. And <laughs> that the church, the church I was serving at the time, uh, put a policy in place, no farming animals allowed in weddings, <laughs> per David Emery. We had, a, we had another, so I sent this email out this week with some of these stories, and... Um, one of my favorite ones was, um, this one didn't end up well. They're not married anymore, but um, um, that's a whole other story there uh, with them. But, um, um, and she should have probably had a warning at the beginning because at the minute the wedding march started, he just bolted. I mean, I'm standing up here. She's walking down the aisle, and he just went out the door running like a rocket. And I thought, where is, he, where is he going, you know? And uh, a true story, we hear, and it just, the music stops, it gets quiet. We hear a, a door slam, and then we hear, <laughs> he'd gone to the restroom, and then he came back. It was an awkward moment, though, for everybody. We, was he coming back or not? We had another um, woman in our church tell me a story this last week when I started telling these stories. She told us that, on the day of her wedding that her, bride ma- her, her husband's uh, best man lost his pants. Uh, he had no pants for the wedding. He did find some pants uh, for the wedding. And then another couple told me, an older couple said that the furnace blew up on the house where all the, the bridesmaids' dresses were being kept and they were all covered in soup. And she said it worked out fine. Uh, we've, been married for 50, we've been married for 55 years. So in the story we're going to read here, it's, it's a wonderful thing because... We see Jesus show up at a very human moment. And weddings in a Jewish culture were wonderful events, community-wide celebrations that lasted several days. You think we spend money on weddings today? Boy, they spent a lot of money on weddings. And back then, their unplanned circumstance was Uncle Bob drank all the wine. Okay, so here's here's the scripture, and then we're going to talk about it. John 2. 
The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Isn't it good to know that Jesus argued with his mom too? <laughs> but his mother told the servants, and she doesn't even listen to him either. Just do whatever he tells you, she says. And standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions, and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But now you've kept the best until now. little comment. I want you to notice this. Nobody knows what's happened in the story. The only person that knows what happens is the servants. The master of the ceremony doesn't know that Jesus has made wine from water. The bride and the groom don't know what's happened. Why is that? Isn't that interesting? Because I'm going to tell you, if I was at the wedding and they ran out of wine, and I made the wine, I'd make sure everybody knew that David Emery had turned the water into wine. I'd want to be the, you know, you'd want, to, you'd want people to know. But I love this about Jesus. He is the Son of God. God's one and only Son. Yet he wanted the couple to be the center of attention at the wedding. And he took a back seat. He took a servant's role. Getting attention to himself was not as important as what he was able to accomplish. I, I've never seen that before, but I think it's just a wonderful image of what it means to put the needs of others ahead of yourself. And you see that in everything about his life. And then it goes on and says, This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed him. Believed in him. Now that last line is insignificant. In John's gospel, there are seven miracles that occur. These are the seven miracles. The first thing is he does, he turns water into wine. The next miracle is he heals the official son. He does a healing at a pool of a paralyzed man. He feeds 5,000. He walks on water, heals a man born blind. And then the climax of the miracles is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. These are seven miracles or seven signs in the Gospel of Mark that all build to a crescendo in that Gospel. It's a literary technique that John uses in order to teach something about Jesus. This is what's interesting. When you look at each of the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have some things in common. They all begin with a story of origin. Who was Jesus? Where did he come from? The next thing in the, in the four Gospels is there's a story about John the Baptist, Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. The third thing that's common in all four Gospels is you will then hear, you will hear him calling disciples to follow him, students that will follow him, his disciples. But then a fourth thing is where they do something a little different. 
there's an inaugural event in each one of the Gospels. In Mark's Gospel, he drives out a demon. In Matthew's Gospel, he teaches the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew wants us to see Jesus as a um, rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. In Luke's Gospel, he announces, he, he goes into the synagogue, and he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and says, I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor to set the captives free. But then in John's Gospel, the very inaugural event that announces his ministry is the water and the wine. Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus himself would choose, that John would choose the first event to describe who Jesus is, a very ordinary wedding? Why? Why? Why do you think that? So let me tell you what I think it means. Real simple sermon structure here. Nothing complicated. I'm going to give you four basic observations, and then I'm going to give you four more uh, meaty observations. These are just four fun observations. So why did he do this? I think the number one reason that he did this simply is because Jesus is making the point, you should always listen to your mother. <laughs> you like that, Jackie? I asked my mom about this. I said, Mom, what do you think about the, the story of the water and the wine? And she said, listen to your mother. That's what it means. That even Jesus, did, even Jesus listened to his mother, and so should you. And you, and you learn from this story, you should never argue with your mother because you're going to do what your mother says. Anyway, you know, mom, my mom is just absolutely persistent. So I have an annual appointment. I had cancer seven years ago. I've been, as of this week, I've been cancer-free for seven years. I went to the doctor. You know who? Isn't that great? Went to the doctor. The only, the only person that knows when my doctor's appointment is is my mom. <laughs> she calls me on Wednesday. Call me after your appointment. What appointment? The one on Friday. It's your annual appointment. How do you know these things? I write them down. You know, you don't argue with your mom and you listen to your mom. This is, this is the origin the historical origin of the phrase, if mom is not happy, no one's happy. Take that for one. That's, that's, that's funny for me. <laughs> I don't care what you say, that's funny. The second, the second one is, simple lesson is, invite Jesus to your wedding. Invite Jesus to your relationships, to your marriage. Couples are so really terrific about um, making out their guest list. We're going to invite all these people. We're going to invite Uncle Bob, who's going to drink all the wine. Uh, we're going to invite all these people to the wedding. We're going to have everything we need for the wedding. But don't forget to invite Jesus to the wedding. When someone chooses a minister to conduct the wedding, or when we have a wedding in the church, we're asking God to bless the marriage and recognizing marriage as a gift. So we want to make sure we invite the master of ceremonies. Here's the third one, and I think that this is a, um, uh, something to overlook. I think they invited, I, I think it's important to know why would they invite Jesus to the wedding. Did you ever think about that? Maybe he was just fun. I think Jesus was invited to the wedding because it, he was fun to be around. Let me ask you, do you think at the wedding, if there was dancing, that maybe Jesus actually danced? Can you picture Jesus dancing? Why not? Maybe Jesus danced with the bride. Maybe Jesus made a toast. 
We tend to think of Jesus as frowning. But I think Jesus probably had a good time. And they invited him. Hey, let's, let's invite Jesus. You know, they didn't know his son of God at that time. Listen, he's so much fun. His mom's a little bit harsh, but, but, <laughs> but, but Jesus is a lot of fun. You know, I started thinking about this. For some, I worry sometimes as I get older, I'm less fun. You know, we have a granddaughter, and she comes over to the house, and sometimes I'm more concerned about the mess she's making than the fun we're having in the mess. I'm more concerned. How are we going to clean this all up? So, good example. My wife still knows how to have fun. I, I, I'm, so my son graduated, and we rented a bouncy, and we put it out behind the back of the house for all the high school boys to bounce in the bouncy. And so right before, I mean, we were working so hard, and I was so, I was thinking, i got to clean all this stuff up, and, I, and I'm just all stressed out. All these people are coming to our house. And right before the, um, the party started, she got inside of it and decided she was going to clean it out, and she squirted some dish soap inside the bouncy and then put the water hose in it. I went around the corner to get some time. I came back. There was, there was bubbles. <laughs> bubbles were coming up out of the top, and she's up to her neck in bubbles. And I just totally lost it. All right, then. What's going on here? We can't. And I'm just like, I had to go get a gasoline blower, and I'm blowing the thing out. I'm falling down. Everybody's laughing at me. I get this horrible look on my face. And finally, I'm falling. It goes, man, just have fun. When did I forget? Jesus is fun. Don't you think Jesus would have enjoyed that? Look at Pastor Dave walking around in a blow-up for high school boys with a gas blower. I think Jesus had fun. Fourth lesson. I don't care what you think. I think that's funny. It's more funny now than it was then. The fourth lesson is that God is interested in every aspect of your life. We think that Jesus lives in the church building. Got to go to church to see Jesus, you know. But Jesus cares about every part of your life. Your married life, your work life. You know, your, your relationship life, your health life, every part of your life. There's no part of your life that doesn't matter to Jesus. And invite Jesus to be a part, a part of your life. Invite God. And when you're inviting Jesus, you're inviting God. Okay, so those are the four simple lessons. Here are the deeper lessons. One is, and this is, a, this is off of the others, Jesus is life-affirming. There's a bad thing that happens in religion sometimes. Sometimes religion devalues life in this world. That we're just passing through. That what we have to do is the world's a bad, evil, dark place, and so we huddle up together and we hang out with people who are like ourselves and while the world goes to hell around us and we look at the world from behind the walls of our little fort that we built for ourselves and we hide in the basement while the world goes to hell around us and we isolate our kids and we take our kids, nothing wrong with private schools, but we take our kids out of public schools because public schools are horrible and they're teaching bad things and the world's a bad place and old brother Bob died and he went to a better place. Whenever somebody says to me at a funeral, oh well, brother Bob He's in a better place. I want to think, well, what about this place? You know, it's a slap in the face of God. I don't think that God created the heavens and the earth and painted, this, put the beautiful stars in the sky and put the trees the, and the flowers and the birds and human life and created it all and called it good. 
This earth is a good and beautiful and amazing place. He says, this is my Father's world. And the idea that we would just want to leave it, I think that Jesus is life affirming, and we see that in this wedding thing, that he is participating in the middle of ordinary life, affirming life. The second thing is, I would say is what we learn is, is that everybody in life knows what it's like when the wine runs out. This is a deeper metaphor. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for when the party is over. It's a metaphor for the day when life seems empty and dry. Anybody ever, ever been empty and dry? It's the day when there is no vibrancy or vitality to life. When it feels like that nothing is growing in us, nothing is fermenting. And when things feel colorless and tasteless. And I think, I think this, this, this story lets us ask this question. Where has the wine run out in our life? What relationships have run dry? What parts of us remain empty? It might be that suddenly these two people are living in a home with one another and suddenly the kids are gone and now you find yourself living with someone and trying to figure out what you do with all the time together. And you wonder, where is our relationship? Some people, it may be the death of a loved one, the loss of a friendship, the loss of a marriage. For some people, it will be a search for acceptance and for meaning. Some will talk about disappointments and guilt and regret or fear, self-doubt, or the longing and desire for something they can't describe. It's, it's that moment in life when you feel like you've been just poured out. But here's what's interesting. Everyone in John's gospel, when you start reading it from the beginning to the end, everybody's searching for something. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody is at a place of emptiness. Here it's a party. Later on it's a woman at a well. Uh, she's thirsty, needing something to drink. And then Jesus has what they need. He takes their ordinary emptiness of their life and gives it abundance and vibrancy. I love this, this idea. He doesn't just make wine. He makes the good stuff. And I want you to, to, to get a feel for the abundance here in the story. He takes six stone jars that were used for purification. And what this represents is the inadequacy of religion to meet our deeper needs. But of the spirit to meet our essential needs. So he takes... He could have just put it in the old wine bottles, but instead he put it in bottles used for religious purposes. Interesting. And he doesn't just make a few bottles of wine. He makes 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Or they'd be like, we're in Kentucky, so let's talk bourbon. They'd be like taking early times and making Pappy Van Winkle. I don't know what Pappy Van Winkle is, but I've seen it on the menu. It's like $100 a glass or something. It must be really good bourbon. Or, you know, he takes and makes good stuff. You know what? I, I added it up. 
that is 60 cases of wine. That's 2,800 four-ounce glasses of wine. And what that is, is that is abundance. You know what that says is there's enough of God for everyone to fill up. There is no shortage of supply of the love and grace of God for everyone. You may say there's not enough of God for me. There's enough for God to fill your glass. Third point. So you want this? Mary has the answer. Do whatever he tells you. So what, what does that mean? It means, so if you, want, if you want this abundance of life, do what Jesus says. What does that mean? It means to you and to me, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a way to vitality. It means forgive those who hurt you and those who wrong you. Practice mercy and kindness toward, toward other people. Be open to people who are different from you. Feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the sick. Put the needs of other people ahead of yourself. When he says to them, do whatever he tells you, well, that's a metaphor for what does he tell us to do? Read the Gospels, read the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you will have everything that you need. Why do you worry about the things that you worry about? Why do you worry about what you will wear or what you will eat? But seek first God's kingdom. And what he says is that's, you know, we can say, oh, this is touchy-feely, David. You know, it's great. You know, fill my cup, Lord, fill it up. Fill me with your wine of your spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's not, that, it's not magic. It means do what he says. If you want to have a vibrant, healthy life, put the needs of other people ahead of yourself. And then the final thing is, God is not distant and not removed, but it's intimate and close. In the Gospel of John and the other parts of the New Testament, uh, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. And when the, with the church, Jesus is the bridegroom that marries the church. At that time and culture, the, the, the religious culture at the time saw God as being very harsh, very distant, very judgmental, and very capricious. I love that word capricious, demanding, angry. You've got to please. You've got to satisfy. It's not concerned about your needs. Not intimate, not personal, and not close. But by attending a wedding, it's, it's a, see in John's gospel, there's all these different levels going on. There's this, this sort of surface level. You know, you think, oh, it's just about making more wine. And there's this deeper level. And the deeper level of the story is, is that is that he wants us to be close to us as a bride is to the bridegroom. To be a close and personal and personal. So I want to end with John 1.16. Did, did you think you could get so much out of a story? Listen, we could, I could give you ten more things out of the story. But what we're going to find as we walk through John for the next few weeks is that, is that whatever Jesus touches brings life. And in the opening of John's gospel, John says this. John says that when Jesus came, that God brought unconditional love and kindness 
and goodness into the world through Jesus. And that Jesus was close to God. And if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And so in John 1.16 it says, From his abundance, we've all received one gracious blessing after another. Let me tell you this. There's a whole world of people out there who think that God is stingy and harsh. And you know why? Because religious people are stingy and harsh. They don't laugh. They're stuck in the mud. They're divisive. Us, them, and all that. But Jesus shows us a different way. And when we start showing the world this God of abundance and graciousness and blessing, they will show up. Because it's ultimately not what people are not looking for programs. Uh, they're not looking for great music. I call that the church growth arms race, of which we'll never win. I can look out the window and see the biggest steeple in the United States. If we're trying to compete with other churches, we'll never, we'll never. That's just foolishness. All we got to do is just point people to the abundance of grace. And people will come.